to me, dignity is about that inclusion because a lot of times you do have diversity, but it stops at that. And various voices aren't invited to the table to speak. And to me, inclusion is not just having people at a certain level speak, not just having the same folks speak. It's also having, inviting other voices, including those that may not have the same kind of power. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today, you're in for a real treat because I have with me Cecilia Akufo. Cecilia comes to us from the recruiting, talent acquisition, and almost podcast world. So we're going to have a fun discussion about Cecilia, her background, and where she may be going down the road. So Cecilia, first of all, thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. I'm so happy to be here chatting with you, Tom, very much so. Thank you for for inviting me. Could you tell us a little bit about your professional background? Yes. My background is that most recently I have been working in human resources and talent acquisition for the past eight years. I also studied organizational development. And so I did work for some time in training within a training organization. And I was an instructional designer for some time as well. At some point, I moved into becoming a freelance reporter, which led me to going back to school at some point for journalism. And then I ended up in journalism school, I sort of had a little bit of a change of heart and circumstances also intervened. And I went into recruiting, which seemed to be an excellent match for my background, my skills, my interests. That certainly is a a varied academic and professional background. And so I'd like to explore that a little bit. Many of the listeners to this podcast are in compliance. They could be chief compliance officers. They could be compliance professionals in organizations. And I always advocate that recruiting, talent acquisition, communications, training, and organizational design are absolutely critical in the compliance context because that's really where it all starts. The first time you look at someone's resume or have an interaction with them in the talent acquisition process, you can start to convey your company's cultures and your expectations. Would you find that to be a fair assessment? I do think that is a fair assessment. And I personally feel that if you're doing the the recruiting right, you set the tone at the beginning of the conversation for your expectations and how you expect people to comply within the organization. And it might seem to be asking a lot, but I think at the very least, you can set the basics set the tone because at the end of the day, the com- you know the folks that you may refer to, or let's just say the compliance department. At my most recent job, there was a compliance department. If you're talking about these things at the beginning, at the beginning, there's less of a chance that you're dealing with it at the back end if you're setting the pace for the expectations. Once someone gets on board, they can learn all the policies and procedures in depth, but at the very least, you start at the beginning. So I don't know if I answered your question, but I do think compliance starts really early and it is a part of the recruiting and something that, you know, the most important things that you want the person to do or the way you want them to behave and be compliant throughout the organization during their stay there. I think you 
talk about certain things during the interviews and then at the the very beginning stage of just the entire process. No, that's absolutely uh, what I was talking about. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is some of the evolutions you've seen in your field, but I'd like to start with the following. Maybe towards the end of the first decade of this century, I started to see titles change from recruiting to talent acquisition. And I'm a lawyer, so I always think words matter. And I thought the words talent acquisition really did matter because it conveyed to me, number one, that recruiters or corporations were really seeking talent and that an individual would be valued for that talent. And so I wanted to ask you about maybe that change in phrasing and and what that meant to you being in that profession. But what are some of the other evolutions you've seen in the past 10 or 15 years in your field? I think what I would say in terms of the title change, you're right. Talent acquisition is more of a professionalization of the actual function. And when I worked for a university and I mentioned that I was recruiting, people never really quite understood. They always assumed that I was recruiting for students or they almost never assumed it was for staff. So sometimes I'd have to clarify or if I would say recruiting, they just weren't sure what I was recruiting for. Talent acquisition, people get it. And at one time in human resources, the human resources professionals did everything, including those staff recruiting. And I think at some point it became clear that that was its own entity if you were going to do it well and do it thoroughly, because there's so many aspects, right? So you have HR and then you have the recruiting and they're just two separate jobs. So at some point they did move to talent acquisition. There are many iterations of of that term, but ultimately I think the idea is to recognize that there needs to be a focus on, on getting talent for an organization. And then organizations started to put their money toward that goal. And now you have entire talent acquisition departments, which are typically under human resources, but they're their own entity. So I would say that in terms of what I do, that's what I saw about the evolution. I'm also intrigued by your journalism degree. We've had the chance to chat a couple of times, and it's clear you're at heart a journalist. But how have you used that degree? Is it in storytelling? Is it active listening? Is it being able to ask probing questions? Is it all of the above or perhaps none of the above? I love that question. It's interesting. Halfway through my degree, there's a big difference between kind of the side, oh, I want to be a journalist and you have these ideas and then you get into the actual, once I got into the studies, the ground was shifting. Just that world was changing very much. And just at some point, it seemed to be become, it was more of a trade for me, which it was a different experience than the concept that I have. And I think that happens. And I decided halfway through, I would finish the degree, but at the same time, I decided to go in a different direction. But what I would say is it's incredibly valuable. I learned things about new media. There was something that I was introduced to, which is called backpack journalism, which is if you have a camera, you've got a camera phone, you've got a microphone, you have access to basically everything you need to go out there and to to tell a story or capture a story. And there are a lot more people that are practicing citizen journalism now. So I would say there was a democratization of this world. So more people can sort of do the same thing that journalists are doing, and they don't necessarily have to have the background. The way it helps me is, to be honest with you, 
it makes me more aware of being compliant and risk. You can't just, maybe in the past, I would have been less aware of the implications of putting information out there that you can't support or making claims. I think journalism has taught me to be more risk averse is what I would say. And so that's one thing. And it served me well in human resources because in my mind, I'm very aware of how just saying the wrong thing and having the term I'm looking for escapes me, but just being responsible in the information I put out there and in and being diligent about dotting my I's and crossing my T's. Those are things that I had to be careful about when I had an editor, you know, checking my facts or making sure that, you know, the things that I said could be supported. So that's one way it's just served me in my life. In another way, I tend to be called on to do a lot of writing. You don't need to be a journalist to do that, but it sort of helped the way I put information out there. So that's one thing I would say. Interestingly enough, because I am somebody, what I did when I was working as a freelancer before I went into school was I did a lot of interviews. And that was one of my favorite things to do. And so in recruiting, I joke a lot because I say, well, you know, now I am interviewing for a living. And I can't tell you the amount of times people who don't know my background will say, wow, you're actually the best, you're the best interview I've ever had, or it's amazing how insightful you are. And and so much of journalism has taught me to listen, yes, to be an active listener, but also to ask the right questions. So it served me as a recruiter. And so both fields probably attracted me for that reason, because I'm naturally a people person, but it's taught me to have a certain discipline in the way that I go about getting the information I need. It's helped me in podcasting. I started podcasting because once I lost my job, which is a whole other story, but it was really important to me to talk about the way I lost my job and what the circumstances were around it. And I only wanted it to be a small part of the story, but I also wanted to talk about the experience that others have. And I just think that there's there are more stories that need to be told. And the, the best way for me to do that was to get into podcasting and be able to have control over my own story. And so it's helped me with podcasting because all the stuff I learned in new media came back to me when I started podcasting. Anyone could start a podcast, but it, things that are tend to be more difficult and more challenging, like editing, I learned that in journalism school. So often, even folks who know my background will say, how do you do that? That's amazing. You're a natural. But they might not have thought I was such a natural in terms of the way I put together my story and the way I speak if I hadn't had that that head start with my training, with new media and knowing what was responsible to put out there and, and all of that. And also, because I am a trained journalist, I can't just say anything. I'm very careful about what it is I do say so that in a certain way, I would say I'm being compliant and responsible as someone who's putting information out there for the world to consume. Could you tell us a little bit more about your podcast? Yes. My podcast is called Workplace Fairness and Dignity. I've always had a lot of success in work. I just I'm an easy person to get along with. My bosses tend to like me and I get along with my colleagues because really my goal is to go to work and get my work done and to do it well, and to also just really not be a problem, not be difficult to work with. Work is hard enough. And I recently lost my job and because I had been recruited from my previous job where I'd been for several years, gotten promotions and just a community award. And so I'm sort of going into the cause of my podcast, leading up to why this podcast. And I was 
considered a rock star call that many times for the first 10 months of my job. And at some point, my supervisor did something which was just really unacceptable on a professional, personal level. And it was reminiscent of someone in my circle who had someone in their life that did something like that. It was sort of just a very bad situation by someone who just was was an abusive person. And what my boss did was something very similar. And that had never happened to me in my professional life. And it's not something I would allow in my personal life. And, you know, I'd seen other things, but it was a line too far. And I spoke up about it. And she gave me a great review the next month and fired me the month after. So I was just really, everyone around me was shocked within the organization because they knew my character. They knew the person I was. But, you know, you can fire people for anything other than certain reasons. And those reasons are very difficult to prove. And, and she knew she could do it. And she did. So I, I was at the point of where we were talking and she fired me. I said, you know, I just want you to know I have really have no regrets about speaking up because if you don't speak up, change doesn't happen. And as you mentioned, I sort of have a bit of a journalism bent. It's sort of about my friend's joke, you know, all about truth, justice in the American way. But I started my podcast to talk about my specific situation. But most importantly, I wanted to talk about workplace fairness and dignity because I feel like it's more, I think the opposite is normalized. And I'd like to highlight the workplaces that do normalize people going to, be, to work, to work in exchange for a paycheck, but not accepting abuse as part of that paycheck. So I titled my podcast, Workplace Fairness and Dignity, and I research companies. I talk about stories in the news that talk about workplaces gone bad, but I also talk about workplaces that do treat their workers well and they prioritize employee well-being and respect. And I talk about surveys, I talk about human resources surveys that show that the top Fortune 500, the companies that do the best are the ones where the employees feel that the executives reflect the values that they expect of their workers. And those are the companies that do the best and that the employees also feel as though they are the most satisfied with their work environment. So I talk about things like that. And the very first podcast is called From Fired to Fired Up. And the first 15 minutes sort of gives a highlight of my experience. And then it leads into research about, you know, workplaces and the types of personalities that you will encounter and reasons why certain behaviors are tolerated and reasons and ways you can counteract that as an organization. So that's my podcast. And after that, I've talked about one of my examples also was a, this made national news, but there was a governor general in Canada who's for years, she was known to run a toxic workplace. And she was someone who had been an astronaut and she had been an opera singer and she was really high value and they didn't do the correct checks. I talk about compliance in that particular podcast. She didn't do the correct, they didn't do the correct checks because she was so high level. They sort of, they wanted her because she had all the star wattage. And, but however, in her history, she left a trail of destruction behind in terms of management. And she ended up, once workers went to the news, then that's when picked up steam. They ended up firing her. And it's very rare for a top-level executive to be held accountable for mistreatment of employees, but it was such a bad environment. Now, if they had done the compliance checks in the beginning by doing what they do for everyone else, like checking references and doing, talking to all, you know, talking to 
people that had worked with her as a manager, it would have been clear that she really was not someone who should have been hired. And if they were going to hire her anyway, say, and just say that, but they didn't follow the, the correct checks. And so it blew up in, unfortunately, the prime minister's face. So those are things that I talk about. And I, I look at some of those stories. So that's my podcast. And the goal is really to, again, highlight stories of people also doing good in the workplace. So let me focus on a couple of words again. And one comes from your podcast titled Dignity, but the other comes from the phrase diversity and inclusion. So I grew up kind of in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and the word diversity was used probably more in the 80s. And Mm -hmm. it always occurred to me that diversity meant, well, you can come here. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can come here. Yeah. 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 And then when the phrase or the word inclusion was added, that to me was significant because inclusion said, not only can you come here, but you're going to be valued. And more importantly, your opinion and what you have to say because of that diversity is going to be valued. And it struck me in listening to you, or at least I interpreted listening to you, that dignity is a part of that. And it's the the dignity to be treated as human, but more importantly, to be valued and appreciated for your unique viewpoint. Does that resonate at all with you, what you're thinking about with dignity? I could not have said that any better. There's a, you may or may not have heard this, but there is a popular saying out there, and I want to say it was attributed to Maya Angelou, but I, a lot of people have said this, that diversity is inviting you to the dance and inclusion is asking you to dance. And you're right. To me, dignity is about that inclusion because a lot of times you do have diversity, but it stops at that. And various voices aren't invited to the table to speak. And to me, inclusion is not just having people at a certain level speak, not just having the same folks speak. It's also having inviting other voices, including those that may not have the same kind of power in the organization, but giving as many different types of people, including you know, the receptionist has something to offer. So if somebody's in the meeting, don't just have them there, but give everyone a voice. The only way I can describe it is I had one particular job where, for example, I was, I ran the communications committee and we were going to do, you know, outreach materials for, for the entire statewide. And we had just people from different backgrounds or groups. Um, I tried to in, include as many people from different regions as possible. People have different ways of communicating. Some people are quieter. Some people are more vocal. And something that I would try to do is make sure that the people who are less vocal or seem like they weren't contributing as much gave them the opportunity to contribute. So I tried to make sure everyone was included. You're not always able to get everyone to speak or to participate in the way, but you have to make the effort and give them the opportunity. So it's that sort of thing. There's dignity in that and giving everybody the opportunity for their voice to be heard. Let me turn to a little bit different focus now, because I think it's a topic that really interests both of us, and that's having a podcast network. And Mm -hmm. as you know, I have the Compliance Podcast Network, but you also aspire to have podcast network. So I was wondering if you might be able to share with us a little bit about not only your vision for a podcast network, but why you see one needed in talent acquisition, recruiting, or some other uh, focus as well, perhaps? You know, it's interesting. I, I do. I, since, since we've talked, I've 
definitely uh, been just spent time on and how I I'm going to sort of move forward and put it together. And and I have a couple of ideas actually. So the, right now, the most important thing driving me is one related to workplace fairness and dignity, because I think that there are many HR podcasts, there are diversity and inclusion podcasts, and something that I've seen, even in writing, in just written materials, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, how to move your career forward. There's a lot of talk about why you should do all the right things, but there's not enough focus on what's really prevalent, which is, you know, it's not as fun to talk about, but the the normalization of workplace indignity and some of the not pleasant things that are going on. And people really need to understand what I've noticed is that people will say, oh my gosh, thank you for speaking to this. You know, and they refer other people to it because they don't really hear, they don't really hear or know to go where to go to, to, to hear, listen, this happens. This is how you deal with it. So I think that I would like to find what I feel like I can the value I can bring is a network of more people, whoever's out there, finding them, bringing them together, creating sort of a, a bit of a community that, you know, you have your podcast to bring it under the umbrella, but also network with each other about things that you're learning. And just at some point, I would be interested in having sort of a, a mini conference of these people that were working in the space. So this would be for workplace you know, let's just say people devoted to the normalization of dignity in the workplace and improvement of current workplace culture. So that would be a network of podcasts. Find them where they exist, bring them together and create sort of a a community. Then something else that's been occurring in my life, which would be a little ways down, I've also for a long time had an interest, I'm totally pivoting here, but in elder services. And I I'm at a point where I'm dealing with aging issues with people in my life. And I worked in aging services in the past. I had a role working with aging services. And 20 years later, I'm still hearing people say, oh, you know, I had no roadmap. So, you know, I think that there's been progress made, but people still feel as though there's a black hole when it comes to navigating how to find services for their loved ones. So, you know, what's tricky is there are a lot of caregivers that are listening to podcasts. I know that. I think a lot of materials are written or online. So I have visions of creating some sort of an elder network podcast. And you're you're um, inspirational because you have 20 active podcasts and a massive podcast network. So it just seems like it would be something that I should find a way to do as well. So podcast network and aging services. Well, I couldn't agree more, Cecilia. Cecilia, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more more information on yourself or to follow up on any of the uh, topics we've talked about today. Where can they go? My email address is cacufo3 at gmail.com. And that would be C-A-K-U-F-F-O, double F like French fries, O-3 at gmail.com. Or they can also email me at Workplace Fairness and Dignity workplace fairness and dignity at gmail.com. So that would be workplace fairness and dignity at gmail.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I welcome connections and I welcome folks reaching out to me. Well, Cecilia, this has been a fascinating visit. And I, number one, hope you get up and going with your podcast network. But number two, I also hope that we can continue this conversation down the road. 
I would love to do that very much so. Thank you, Tom. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.